This is CliffCentral.com. Good morning. Welcome to Disrupt with me, Mpumin Tlapo. Thank you for joining us again. If you are with us for the first time on this show, we focus on in-depth conversations with industry leaders, and we really try to tackle the subject around disruption, what it means, what is the impact that it has on us as individuals, on corporates, um, on entrepreneurs, and really on society as a whole. Um, the show is powered by T-Systems, who make this platform available to us. And my guest for today is Derek Kotsak. Derek, how are you? Good morning. Very well, thanks. Thank you for joining us on the show. Derek, you are the CEO of M-Labs. Um, M-Labs, what does M-Labs do very quickly for us? So we are a mobile technology accelerator, uh, originally launched in 2012 with a focus on becoming a tech accelerator in a very specific vertical for mobile applications, um, focusing on youth and primarily driven by socioeconomic impact. So unlike most tech hubs or incubators, our core focus is not just uh, making an ROI on the investments into these startups. It's actually to to track and monitor the impact that they're bringing into the economy um, at a social and economic level. Okay, fantastic. So, um, I mean, you use the term accelerator very specifically as opposed to incubator or tech hub. Um, maybe just if you can quickly you know, give me the context of the difference between the two and where the similarities uh, might overlap. It's a very good question. So I would say that technically we're more of a hybrid. Okay. So where you have tech hubs, which are very often physical spaces and are driven by communities, um, different talent segments coming together and working on solutions or simply ut- utilizing the facilities. And those are often converted into incubators, which then have some sort of commercial model okay. against additional services. That might be a rental model or a, a mentorship model that comes with the program. And accelerators often focus on more short-term programs. So the focus there is to, to help you pivot from a specific point of your development phase into the next phase. So that might either be an accelerator like us that have quite a strong focus on the technology development. Okay. So going from concept to a first minimal viable product or validated product, or it might be a startup that's doing quite well and it's ready for scaling. And now the accelerator would step in to help them with scaling investment and growth. Okay. Um, we would spoke a bit earlier and you'd mentioned that M-Labs is a non-profit organization and this is how it was originally founded. Can you maybe then just uh, tell us a bit of history about the organization and how it came into being so that we just understand why it needed to be a non-profit? Sure. So originally in 2011, the concept was um, put together by the World Bank InfoDev program, uh, driven b- primarily by the Finnish government, uh, Finnish-funded pro- program through InfoDev. And the idea there was that two pilot sites would be launched into Africa and Kenya and in South Africa. And consortiums could apply for this. In the South African context, a consortium was formed between the CSIR, the Innovation Hub, and a nonprofit called Ngana Africa. And that really saw the seed of the MLAB. Um, It received a grant to do the first establishment. And following from there, a decision was then made to turn it into a, a separate and unique legal entity. And from a stakeholder perspective, as well as with our mandate, it made more sense to be a non-profit organization. Uh, okay. And um, so to date, where, where is the organization now? Um, I know you've got physical uh, presence in Pretoria, uh, here in Gauteng. You've got some in, in Pumalanga, in the Western Cape. So how, how far has the organization grown today? So MLAB now really is in its um, 
in its scaling phase. Okay. So f- since 2012, we established in Tuane within the Innovation Hub. There we've now grown into a much larger facility. We also have an academy there uh, catering for about 45 students that are full-time training. Uh, we have our partnerships in Cape Town, primarily supported by um, the VNA Waterfront. Uh, within the Workshop 17 environment. And then at the moment, we're in our process of scaling into the Northern Cape, Kimberley and Halashiwe, okay. uh, Limpopo province in Polokwane, and then now meeting with stakeholders in Mpumalanga province. Okay. And your stated intent is to drive innovation through tech, fundamentally. Or, or am I getting it wrong? It is. So we believe that innovation, uh, the technology plays a core role in it. It's, it's the embodiment of innovation. It's a great way of bringing it to consumers. Mm. Within the African context, mobile makes sense, uh, specifically at this point. Yes. That form factor, we believe, will continue to evolve. And so the program now has a much broader focus on uh, data sciences, potential data engineering, which really drives innovation. If we know if we have data, we can innovate on top of it. Yes. Um, the product outputs at the moment is mobile and mo- mostly mobile applications. But we know that mobile now means true systems. So applications aren't just these little icons on your screen. Yes. You know, they're deep systems that sit across different screens. Absolutely. Uh, we're moving to IoT space, wearable technologies. So all of that we still define within the mobile environment. But really, the I would say our core ethos really is about how do we innovate around human capital. So our focus is on youth, empowering them through technology skills, okay. that they build assets that can potentially become businesses and drive economic growth. Okay. So really what, what we're innovating around is more youth talent than, than it is technology, and technology is just a tool for it. And, I mean, given that, you know, we, we know there are, you know, you said about roughly 600,000 graduates that are unemployed. Um, and you mentioned a number of about 45 full-time students you have in one of your areas. So you really need to be very specific around who you select to bring onto the, onto the program. Um, how do you go about making, I mean, what is clearly going to be a very difficult decision of who comes onto the program and the profile of young people that you take on? It's a very good question. We're, we're still evolving it. Um, I mean, if you look at MLab at the age of MLab, we're still quite a young organization as well. Yes. Our academy is only about three years old at the moment. Um, it has scaled now. So now we're in Tuane, we're in Soweto, we're in Timbisa. We've just established and moved a group to um, Bromfontein, specifically focusing on a- Alex co- community. Um, and we will most likely in the new provinces also run academies, potentially with different models. But what we've learned over the period is that we started out focusing on unemployed ICT graduates okay, because we believe that was a low-hanging fruit. Yeah, we believe we've got that some fundamentals in place. Fundamentals are in place, and now we can help them become more experienced in a specific channel, so that mobile application development channel, Scrum Agile, etc. Yes. We then started incorporating other um Backgrounds as well, so not necessarily just ICT. Uh, this year we have some students from psychological backgrounds or psychology backgrounds and, and um, consumer psychology design. So it's becoming a little bit more uh, transdisciplined within the environment. Okay. And then we have tested with uh, matriculants as well. So we have a couple of well-performing ones. And when we get to the end of our year, which generally is in, in March, um, we start our evaluations again in February. And now we will be looking at kind of this is more about aptitude and passion yes. uh, than necessarily skills that they come with. And also the technologies have changed. So it seems that every year is becoming much and much more easy 
to learn how to become a developer. The platforms are improving, the tools are there, the languages are improving. Yeah. Um, but for now, the focus has been on some sort of qualification, maths and sciences at school, and then what is your aptitude and passion for being a developer? Absolutely. It's so interesting that, um, you know, because even on this show, um, you know, the range of guests I have had are not necessarily from tech backgrounds. You know, they come from industrial engineering, you know, social sciences. And and I think that's probably an important indicator coming from, you know, you guys are coming from a very early stages base that this stuff is not going to just come from, you know, the techies and the people that are doing all the development and varsity and school or whatever. It's going to come from multiple disciplines, isn't it? hundred percent. So we... Last year we launched the program and we've just expanded it now to Johannesburg as well with um, Resolution Circle. It's called Demola. It's a Finnish program. About 19 countries around the world have it. And there it's focused on taking students from multiple disciplines, forming small teams around real industry issues. So industry puts forward a problem. Okay. It's an unscoped problem. Okay. And we take them through a three-month facilitated innovation process. Wow. And the key there is that these students need to come from different backgrounds. They need to come from different skills, um, ideally come from different universities or colleges as well. Uh, and the outputs truly prove that that's the way you drive innovation. And it's, and it's beyond multidiscipline. It's transdiscipline. It's saying that as a designer or a developer or a consumer psychologist, yes. I can play that role within the team. But I should also step out of that skill and I try see. and contribute to something else. And that's really where we start unlocking really valuable assets that can turn into businesses. So take me through some of the problems that you've worked on and, and some of the results because that sounds fascinating. So last year we ran um, the program down in Cape Town Okay. with three of the universities there. So we had students from, from multiple universities there, different backgrounds, psychology, engineering, uh, software development, and we, for example, put forward a, uh, a challenge along with the CSIR around health. So we have a specific interest uh, starting last year and going forward to see what the mobile health opportunity is for the for, for startups. So okay. we believe there's a big window there. Now, the model works that you cannot over-define what the solution should be. So the question should not be, can you build us a mobile application that speaks to diabetes? The The, the concept here is to say, we have no answer to how virtual reality would fit into the health environment. So it's a very simple concept. Okay. And there we had students come up with amazing th things. Uh, one team developed a solution and demo around uh, maternity. So when um, the, the emotional element that they tapped into was that often when a mom goes in and they do the ultrasound, uh, there's a bit of a disconnect between her and the and the spouse or the partner um, or the rest of the family that might be in there as well. Yes. And so here they used virtual reality to kind of take the 3D imaging from the the sonar onto onto virtual reality headset. Both the parents or the broader family could experience this and see the baby, but also feel the heartbeat. So wow. they built a little device. So these are things that are just wow. kind of pushing the, the boundaries in terms of what are the answers to real problems that – industry might be facing in the next two to five years. It's yes. not something that's a core functional issue at the moment. Something that operationally needs to be optimized now. Yeah, yeah it's thinking to the future. And, and it's really important as well with this model that the partner, the industry partner, participates as a 
equal co-creator mm. so that there shouldn't be a distance in power between them and the students. And how could something like that translate into a corporate setting? I mean, obviously you've, you've styled it very specifically around students, but there is a learning there around transdisciplinary dis- discipline teams. Um, and around like really abstract problem solving. So mm. dealing with problems that might not necessarily manifest today. How can something like that translate into effective innovation and problem solving in a, in a corporate environment? So the model naturally evolves to becoming more of an internal innovation platform for corporates. Okay. So the greatest value that a corporate has in participating with students, so external talent. Yes. Um, is that they are put into a very different environment. They're being challenged. Uh, head on by by different talent groups, by different experience groups, and often these are the consumer as well. And that can be transplanted into organizations. So in Finland, the Demola model has moved into one of their biggest insurance companies uh, with great success where the company opens up for challenges coming from their staff. The staff volunteer to participate in solving these problems, okay. very often stepping out of their traditional role in the business, and then producing real IP, often that get patented down the line for the business as well. Sure. Very interesting. Um, I read some stats. Uh, in 2014, less than 2% of the African economy um, was based on you know internet-based capabilities, if I can put it that way. And it's projected to be you know, just below 10% um, by 2025. I mentioned that because some of the work you're doing is intended to feed and to, you know, to drive that Two percent to probably you know, significant double digit, digit type of numbers, um, and then other research by the ITU, you know, identified like four key industries that would be kind of billion dollar industries on the continent: so mobile health, mobile learning, or education, mobile entertainment, uh, being 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 some of those. Are you seeing that a lot of the innovation that's coming out of your, your, your platforms, out of your accelerators, is feeding into those spaces? Is it aligned to what you're seeing on the ground? We do so. We have a bit of an artificial focus on specific ones. So when we started out with this, there was a alignment with the National Development Plan as well. So we, we focus on some of those pillars, so health, education, transport, uh, agriculture. So there's there were some key ones that we identified and, okay. and knowing that mobile or technology actually sits across all of them. The problem is not technology. The problem comes from the the sectors that require disruption or innovation to happen on top of them. So we do see a natural tendency driven there. What we find with our program is that because we focus largely on youth, uh, primarily on youth, and and often they are graduates, they do come with a lack of industry experience. And we know that once you're in industry, you're often the ones that um, are more attuned to where the gaps are. Within that industry. So with, with our... Demographic and, and cohorts that come into the program, they often focus on problems that are quite unique to themselves okay. um, or important to themselves, obviously with a much broader broader impact. And so we saw quite a large focus in the, in the early days on transport. So there's a large focus there. We saw education always coming up. It's a difficult segment to get into because mm. very often, actually with all of these pillars, the entrepreneurs or the founders – try and focus on very big problems, very complex problems, which they don't necessarily have the support for, which they don't necessarily have the experience for. And they assume that government will be the client. So it kind of becomes a very long pipeline in terms of trying to get this product adopted. Absolutely. So we saw education popping up several times, being quite popular. Um, 
it is back again now. This year we're seeing some education stuff coming in. Okay. A lot more focused on gaming. I think the South African market's finally so le- so more learning than it is about you know more the learning self driven self driven yes focusing away from. I think it's great what you're saying. It's focusing away from the typical or entrenched education systems that we have in yeah. South Africa and Africa as a yeah. whole, and it's starting to focus more on that self learning, exploration, interest based learning. Um, both youth and adult learning coming through. Health is a big one. So we believe that there is a big economic opportunity still for startups to focus on ubiquitous health. So again, not trying to necessarily solve all the problems that the public sector and clinics are facing and we require government buy-in and the government needs to control a lot of those systems. It's more around consumer Focused health systems. Okay, give me so, give me some some touch-ins there. Uh, prevention, uh, potentially reducing the strain on the systems. Um, we've supported a company called uh, Hearex, which focuses on hearing testing. Okay, uh, they're now in twenty-five countries. Uh, it's it's intellectual property that came out of the University of Pretoria that was commercialized through um, a startup and an entrepreneur, and they're the big value at least one of the big values that it's bringing is that it's reducing the pressure on the system. So every time there is a, a question around a child's hearing abilities, yes. um, people will tend to go to the clinic or line up, uh, and it might not be a requirement. So these calibrated headsets with a with a smartphone can do quite a decent test and give you an indication of whether you should go for further testing or potentially where to go for further uh, it's testing. It's like that early screening, effectively. So it's so early screening. Yeah. And there's there's a requirement for schools to be testing all children. And I think that it has a the additional impact that systems like this will have is improving education, improving the output of education. Because if children can hear uh, or not hear, they're often yeah. seen as being difficult or not being able to learn where that's not the problem. Yes. So we're seeing solutions like that coming to the market. Um, there's really good data-based systems coming to the market that helps with prevention of in- injury, health, um, wearable technologies. We have another startup uh, that we support called Senso. So here a young gentleman, very passionate about the fact that he had a hearing-impaired aunt okay. to help raise them. And he made a decision that they are – still very often disconnected from the world around them. So he's developed and designed a patented system, wearable technology that can hear and listen for that individual and warn them through vibration and touch. Wow. So these are the type of things that I think there are unique opportunities still within this market and the African market to build for the health environment. Absolutely. You know, what you're speaking to here is, is a topic that often comes up uh, with some of our guests about the type of innovation that, that we do on, on the continent. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about mindset because, um, you know, for someone who's listening to you speak um, and, and you deal with, you know, um, entrepreneurs, early stage people with ideas, most people have got some sort of an idea. What's the defining factor? between what's a decent idea that might have moderate success and what's not such a great idea but is likely to have far greater success. Where, where does that balance come in? It's very difficult when we try and focus on on the idea because there's no real guarantee whether a silly idea would would be successful or it's, uh, the idea in its infancy would be a failure. Yeah. So this, this is where we kind of see ourselves playing the role as well is that you need to take that idea to a minimal validated product. So you need okay. to do something with the idea yes. and test it in market. 
whether you test that with actual consumers or you test that within a pilot environment, you need feedback from from multiple players. Okay. Where we do see there is a, a greater chance for success is one if the individual, the innovator. So we don't we wouldn't define anyone just as an entrepreneur. Okay. So you might be talent or you might have specific skills, and now you're innovating or you are trying to you're a problem solver. Okay. If you find an innovative way of solving that problem, we would define you as an innovator. And then if you're keen on building a business around this, uh, we would call you a founder. Okay. And what we find is that it's not those individual founders that often lead to the next phase of entrepreneurship and startups and success. It's when there are multiple founders within a single idea. Okay. So a big obstacle at the moment is that people want to hide behind their ideas. Yes. There's this... I don't want to specifically call it a U.S. notion, but we have a very strong notion, probably driven through U.S. media or understanding of startup media, that you need to protect your idea, that it's going to get stolen, that you need a non-disclosure agreement up front. And without those things, I won't share my idea. So I'd rather have have 100% of nothing than have a bit of everything. So the successes we see is that when there are multiple founders within working on a specific problem, when their teams that are working with them, the talent or the skill, are brought into the business with some equity or some shareholding in either the solution or the outcomes of the product or the business. Okay. They're committed to the product. Yes. And then there is data also showing that um, if there is a gender balance within that founding group, there's also a larger group of, of success. But I would say… To answer your question, ideas are very difficult to evaluate. If we look at some of the things, crypto kitties, which is a new thing that's that's currently hitting them. Mm. Well, it's not new, but it's it's now making headlines around the cryptocurrencies where people are exchanging kind of Pokemon-like cats. Yes. So if someone pitched that idea, it would probably be very questionable whether that is actually something worth investing in. Yeah. And yet it's showing success. Absolutely. I really want you to recap, um, you know, those factors for success again, because I think there's, there's a lot in that, you know, there's a lot of substance in that, because I also have a lot of people that come and say, I've got this great idea for an app most of the time and so forth. And, and typically I say that, you know, your idea without the passion and the drive and the energy to push it through, it's not like someone's just going to take this thing and think, wow, I'm going to make, you know, billions out of it. Let me go put my energy into it. Um, so would you mind just recapping um, just some of those lessons that you shared around what, what is what are the likely indicators for success into the sure, future? Yeah. Sure. So again, if you are if you have an idea, it is in most cases not unique. We often hear many of the same ideas because your your idea is based on a problem. Yes. You're not the only one experiencing it, which is a good signal in the first place. Yes. But your idea is not unique. It's the implementation of that that idea to a point where you can test it that already gives you a huge advantage. Whether you have had some successes while testing it or you have had some failures which I prefer to call iterations because failure is giving up yes so you've iterated around it you've paid the school fees you're ahead of the of the other guys with just the idea so it's taking your idea to some proven concept even if it's a bad demo- demonstration or prototype of it okay. you need to evolve it into a physical form then you can't do this on your own it's very unlikely that a that a single founder will ever have success within this space, because it is such a transdisciplinary environment. Okay, you cannot be everything and do everything. So make sure you have great co-founders with you. Some of them will stay with you, some of them won't. But at least 
build a team around this. Make sure that the skill that's building the product or developing the product or selling it have some stake in the business because you want them to be committed. And in an economy like ours where there is a lot of unemployment and yet also a lot of opportunity within the, the formal sector and the, and the private sector and public sector, if you have experience, especially in innovation and in technology, you can often get absorbed. So, so okay. startups tend to lose their talent yes. because they are not able to pay them that well, but they're also not making them part of the business. And then as a founding team, try and be as diverse as possible. Uh, and this goes across age, gender, and race. Okay. Like make sure that you are quite a diverse team. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. So let's now talk a little bit about uh, yourself, your background, um, because you seem to be quite knowledgeable on the space. And I know you've had quite a, an interesting background as well in terms of your your growth um, and to get to the point where you are now. Can you just share a little bit where you've come from? Sure. I am. Um, so I started out in in Twani. So I studied at the University of Pretoria within Information Sciences. And then um, got my first job with a very small startup. I was the only employee working from a house as a software developer. Okay. Um, I learned a lot, and I did not enjoy it that much. <laughs> and so luckily through that experience, because I was working on a product, I saw an opportunity to go and be uh, – for, for the, uh, the startup was looking for campaign managers – I had no idea what it was, but it was based in Cape Town. It sounded exciting, and from what I could see from around the company, it was interesting because they were working with Google at that point. Okay. And it turned out to be a digital marketing agency, um, one of the leading ones in South Africa and has grown into a global one. So I worked with them for quite a number of years and uh, then had an opportunity to move to the U.S. to represent the company with some clients there, mainly okay. retail, big retail clients. So I got a lot of experience in the traditional retail environment and how that translated into the new digital e-commerce environment. Then in 2009, I came back to South Africa and I worked for um, Media24 specifically on their stable of magazines focusing on African women. Uh, so True Love, Real Magazine, Move Magazine. And the focus at that point was this was just pre the, the tablet. Okay. So all of the magazines were moving their content onto web. Web platforms, yeah. And the publishers of this stable felt that their consumer base was not necessarily going to sit in front of the their laptops or PCs. They were going to be on their phones and they are very mobile. And that they were also not willing to sell their or move their content purely to move the magazine to the phone. So we worked on a couple of projects, quite an innovation. It was mostly innovation-driven, uh, what can be done um, within the mobile environment and building brand extensions. So instead of building a true love application, we were focusing on building a dating application because we knew that magazines are very intelligent and, and aware of their reader base. They know how many of them are single, single mothers, how many of them are employed, what work they do. They were kind of like the traditional search engines yeah. at the time. So with it, through that work, I started slowly moving from digital marketing into uh, and media into traditional media, but then extending into mobile. And through that came an opportunity with Nokia to try and rejuvenize their developer experience and outreach within Southern and East Africa. And... Um, that's kind of where my involvement with the MLab started as well because Nokia was a, a knowledge partner of the Finnish government in terms of helping to establish these potential yes. 
mobile accelerators. Yes. Um, and so I found my way into to helping build and develop the mobile, the MLab concept around and launching it. Fantastic. I find it very interesting that, that that very close relationship between media, telecoms, and ICT. Um, I mean, even as far back as, as your career, you know, those areas have lived very closely with each other, and now they're almost difficult to separate them from one another. Um, does that play out as well in terms of some of the innovations that are coming through the system? I believe so. I think, like, media still drives many of us, the vast majority of us, whether it's traditional media, print, or, or digital media, it influences what we think about, and it drives us then on a journey of discovery. Mm. So you might hear something today on the show, and that puts you onto Google to find something else, and maybe that puts you onto Facebook to find more content around that, or YouTube. or um, So you start a journey of discovery. So media is really driving it. Yeah. We also know that it is people like to be entertained. Um, people don't like being bored. And I think that's where the big opportunities lie at the moment is there's still a large gap in terms of how we can innovate as Africans around content. Okay. We're a very creative <clears throat> population. Um, we have incredible stories to tell, beautiful design. And so I do think that a, that a big segment of the potential growth within the mobile sector, the application sector, the digital TV sector will be that we will start seeing African content, whether these are games or stories, uh, animations. I think there's a big segment that's still coming. Okay. And, and where have you seen this play out in, in, in other economies or other parts of the world that, that we can reference where this generating of, let me call it local content, and, and exploring that has really started to take... We understand the Western and the American world quite clearly, but other parts of the world? So we know that if we look at... Um, let's look at Africa. Let's look at Nigeria, okay. the Nollywood in, environment. Yes. There about... I think this is already probably three years ago. One of the biggest producers and distributors of, of Nollywood content decided that it doesn't even make sense for them anymore to try and distribute this through traditional TV channels. They went purely di digital in terms of it's still movies, it's still shows that are being produced, yes. very hyper-local shows, yeah. often go viral, but the main channel was being consuming it through mobile devices. So we know that there is a trend. We see this in Bollywood, we see this in the US with Hollywood. Yes. Uh, so we know that content is powerful, and we now know that even Hollywood is starting to look back at Africa. So one can very comfortably assume that once Black Panther hits the, the screens, there's going to be a huge uptake in interest in terms of African design, yes. African culture, pop yes. culture. It's certainly going to unlock it again from, a, from an interest outside of Africa. Mm. Um, and I think it's prime for, for local innovators, local designers, local thinkers and problem solvers to think about founding businesses around those and what and if if we assume that the talent is there, which which we know it's there, um, and, the, and there's there's an abundance of it for sure, um, what are the problems? Which I guess is what Mlabs is trying to do, which is solve these problems. But what are the inherent problems that create that gap that needs to be bridged in terms of then this massive uptake really coming to the fore? So we so we acknowledge that from the creative economy there is still work to be done to move them into the technology economy. So if we're going to take this content and put it into digital formats and digital consumption channels like mobile or, or screens, um, 
you need specific skills and quite expertise skills to achieve that. There isn't enough. So the universities aren't necessarily producing the most practical skills at the moment. Mm. When you do have the right skills, you get absorbed into the formal economy, uh, often within big corporates or the banking sector, where there is a huge demand still for at the, moment, for the yes. skill. So startups have very little choice in terms of where they can pull those skills um, and can they afford them because it's a highly competitive environment. So a focus for us, for example, is to see how many developers we can train, young developers we can train that can actually execute. So okay. this isn't about the, the theory of it. It's about the execution and the experience of building They, can, they can do the stuff. And there's more academies and many other academies popping up. We don't have enough, so we're hoping to see more. But that's step one is to say, like, firstly, there's a skills gap. We need, we need more skills that can actually build these things. Okay. Second part is that all of these businesses, to make them a success, they are truly becoming data businesses. Yes. Like the Facebook isn't about photos and and updates. It's about the data that that it produces mm-hmm. and that can be evaluated. So there's a huge capacity gap in terms of data engineering. So the guys that will actually build the data systems to understand it and the data scientists that will understand and evaluate that data. Okay. So there's some work to be done there, primarily at a skills level. And then I think secondly, we – a big obstacle is is access to data and the cost of data. It's okay. very prevalent. from a, from a network perspective, from network. a connectivity perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's it's a we see it. I speak purely from a South African context here. South African data costs are exorbitant compared to some of the other big markets in in Africa. Here mm. we're sitting around. I think some of the latest data showed about seven dollars sixty. If we're talking in US dollars per gig, mm. you look at Kenya. It's about four dollars. I think four dollars fifty, and Egypt is just a dollar twenty. Wow! So it's these a, it's a huge gap. It's a huge gap. Now imagine you are interested in creating just technology and distributing it, or learning about technology. And the best way to learn today is through technology. Yeah, so online. Yeah, getting it online. Not to speak of creating rich content, like trying to produce beautifully designed things or animations or video. Those things are Films, expensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So one, there's a big op- – it's creating a huge obstacle in terms of people being able to create. We need more creators, not consumers. Yes. But then the second problem is once you have at least a few that can actually access that, maybe it's through platforms like incubators or, or co-working spaces or corporates providing you at least access to data, then you've created something and now you you have a consumer base that that also can't afford to access it. So I think like at those prices yeah. in South Africa, that probably excludes about half of the population if, from actually if not more. Yeah. yeah. And, and I guess it also limits the, the, the level of ambition uh, from the people that would want to innovate because it's kind of like, well, yeah, with the speeds here are not fast enough or people wouldn't spend that much time consuming that. It's going to be too costly. And so I guess there's a whole economy that's waiting there, which would probably outweigh the margins that, that are being made on the data. If you get what I mean, from yeah. an overall economy point of view, that we're possibly missing out on. Hugely. And I think, look, the reality is the penetration will continue to grow. More people will get access. The cost might come down. We haven't seen much shifting in the last two years. It's been pretty much static in South Africa for the cost. But because South Africans or Africans are then, they're not getting the opportunity to, to innovate – Global players are just sitting around and waiting. Yeah. Right. So we are, when when 
our talent tries to solve a problem, they feel forced to look back at solutions like USSD or SMS or kind of like very legacy-based systems. They're not developing for the future. Yes. The global players are developing for the future and pretty much just sitting and waiting or even investing right now in these markets in a very patient way, knowing that the market will unlock. So they are, we are excluding our own people from participating or driving these economies and mm. building businesses around them. Um, and that's a big risk. Yeah. And this is predominantly mobile mobile data that we're speaking about, eh? Or, or is this the same for, for fixed line, you know, fiber and that, you know, the cost issue? Cost issue, I think, is the same across the board. Across the spectrum, yeah. Because yeah. if you if you look at at fixed line or fiber, mm. there you're prohibited by the by the actual geography or the footprint of it. Yes, yes. So again, it drives the notions as to why these innovations tend to happen within science councils, universities, potentially hubs, because they've become physical spaces where you can access those resources. Okay. Where you look at competing global markets, those resources are already, already in a available shop. in a coffee shop yeah. in your mom's basement. In a, we love these stories about the garage startups, right? Yeah. All of these big ones. Oh, they all started in a garage. Mm. Like how how many garages are there in South Africa that have like decent internet connectivity yeah. at the moment? Mm. And it's not a it's not a luxury for building businesses anymore. It's now a requirement. It's a fundamental. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to expand our conversation a bit and then, and, and look at, you know, someone who's considering themselves or within an organization even that they want to become this innovator. You know, uh, we've spoken a little bit about where you do have an idea or a concept or a, a solution to a problem. Some of the things that could help, you know, increase the chances of success. Um, but I want to take it back to now, say, if someone is looking at, you know, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, you know, data, big data, as you know, and all these factors that are seemingly driving the innovation landscape, how do they lean into those coming from, you know, a, a space where they're in finance or in HR or, you know, spaces that aren't necessarily tech-driven, if I can put it that way? How could they lean into these new technologies in a way that can help them become potential innovators themselves, even if they have no intentions of being entrepreneurs per se. Yeah. I think it's very difficult within, if we're speaking specifically around corporates, because we don't necessarily know what the restrictive policies are for people to, to move from one discipline or engage in a different discipline. Yeah. I would say, though, that it's interest-based. If you are most likely not going to be an innovator, if you are not curious enough to try and immerse yourself in in these technologies or in these knowledge sectors. Um, and you should be able to do that through the internet again. Like mm. there's, there's huge amounts of content learning, uh, Udacity platforms, learning platforms, universities that are, that have content that's created by the industry themselves. The IBMs, the Googles, they produce these content elements where you can. So learning shouldn't be as restrictive for you to actually start gaining some of the skills. Um, I would advise them to at least look at implementing some of the fundamental models of thinking around this. So how do you change the mindset? How do you think about this um, through design thinking, through mm. agile methodologies, mm. uh, do doing done methodologies, Kanban, like those type of simple processes that allow you to take something out of your head and produce something physical, even if that physical element is a post-it note. 
suddenly there's something you can validate with someone else or that you can step back a little bit and look at it. Mm. Um, and it will give you a better idea where it fits in. Does it fit? Uh, are you onto, into this, onto something? Are you on the right track to, to solving the problem in an innovative way? Um, so I think there's a lot of light skills that people can start learning. Okay. They should have access to it. Yes. Join communities. I mean, this is, I know this is difficult. We all have very busy lives. But if you truly have, if you are truly interested in it, if you are curious and you are interested in being part of it, then again, this is where community hubs become playing or start playing a role is you need to interconnect with external communities. We are seeing corporates building some of their own innovation labs or innovation communities. Um, but I think external influences often drive better innovation. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. it tends to become quite insular um, and then very corporate again within a corporate setting. Yeah. Yeah. You get stuck. What we, what we see with many of these corporates who are investing externally, it is quite rare for them to actually pull those innovations inside. They do prefer to keep it at an arm's length, and there's good reason for it. Yes, yes. I just want to go back to something that I really liked, and you spoke about creating something tangible. And I think that's probably a step that most people... I guess that's where it becomes daunting. You know, once you write, it's just, if you talk about something, it's quite nice. You know, I've got this idea, this is what I want to do. I'm so excited. But once you have to create something tangible, even a post-it note or a document or a basic mock-up, um, it becomes quite daunting because then I guess you have to face the idea head on in, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Look, I would, uh, this is just because of my own personality, but like don't, don't go and do like heavy documents and business. Yeah, 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 yeah. These things are often over template already yes um, and so you lose already the innovation process of it there's some nice canvases that you can try and fill in but it is more about like building a little prototype and whether you do that with with paper with press stick with clay with um, drawing points, it on whatever yeah, yeah it doesn't matter but but create some physical output of what your your concept or your idea is look at it so you can look at it and you can show it to someone and kind of validate that with them as well yeah but often business writing like these big documents or the traditional academic formats of like how you output an idea, those become heavy, they become difficult processes, and they don't translate into something that you can really experience. And I guess it also becomes in itself something that can consume you and give you comfort so that you don't have to worry about the real stuff. You know, I'm working on my business plan. I don't have time to worry about building the model or the proof of concept, which is the actual thing, Yeah, you know. Very much. And I think just if you are, and it comes back to the point that you, often the most successful ones are those with co-founders. If you have a experience a problem renewing your license or going to a bank or going to a clinic, you're experiencing the problem and you're thinking, why can't it just be done this way? You probably don't have the knowledge to then figure out all of the elements that's required to it. So try and connect. Try and find someone okay. who shares your idea um, that has some scope of it, has a different discipline than you do. Okay. I want to then just talk about disruption. Um, firstly, do you guys even use the term disruption in, in your accelerators or in your communities, or is it something that kind of happens organically? Because it's you know, in marketing and conference circles, it's widely spoken about. Um, is that something that you guys are conscious of? It's a good term to use. We don't use it as a goal, I would say. Okay. I think there are very few disruptive technologies or innovations that started out with, oh, how are we going to disrupt or how are we going to 
cause damage? Because really, if you look at disruption, it's about destroying or damaging something. Or or eliminating something. Eliminating something already. So in a sense, it's actually quite a negative context that, that then creates new opportunities. So it's the destruction for creation. So we don't really use it that often as a, a setting goals or, or having it as a milestone or saying it's a requirement for participating or innovating. Okay. So in a sense, I do believe that it, disruption is quite organic. It happens. Um, I think it is a term that's also potentially a little bit late to the game in some context because in the early days, those dis- disruptions came out of nowhere. Yes. Those industries that were disrupted were completely caught off guard I think there is enough understanding at this point especially for organizations with a lot of resources is that disruption is always around you okay and so that disruption has an instant reaction so whether that reaction is to change or or work with government to bring in policies that protect you so it becomes quite protectionist uh, okay right? pricing wars things like that yeah so yeah. We, we, if we look at technologies if we say um wasn't Pesa or is Uber, for example, is is it truly innovative? We don't know. Yeah. It's quite cool and yeah. it's good technology and it's the use of innovation, but the models aren't necessarily that new. Yes. It's a little bit different. Has it been disruptive? I would say it has been, especially yes. if you see how the traditional models are reacting to it. Yes. And in many of those cases, they are often winning the game as well. They are driving and bringing policy into play. They are changing laws or, or in, insisting on laws being implemented against these organizations. So disruption these days aren't necessarily a clear-cut model for success. Um, they often bring you a lot more pushback. Mm. Um, so you need to be aware of it and you need to know when your innovation is potentially going to cause it. So when will it step on toes? Yes. But I don't think it's a it's a model for success. What what would you say then is a model for success in the work that you do? I think understanding what the functional value is that you bring to the consumer or the client. So are you allowing them to have a better experience, whether that's saving time, whether that's saving money, whether that's feeling better? Um, if you can target on, if you can target your innovations towards actually focusing on the human again and not the technology, yes, and really bringing them value, then you have potential to turn that into a commercial model. So now you can say, for this value, I'm willing to exchange this value for money. Okay. And then you then you start building a business. Okay. Um, I think that's a match. And you may be disruptive in the process. And you will, and you will most likely cause some sort of disruption down it. Because as you grow, you are going to start touching outside of your natural ecosystem or that you started out in. And, and that's going to start ruffling feathers, which will make you disruptive. Um, and at the moment, a lot of these disruptions are actually driven by external ecosystems. So, yes. so they are built on top of disruptive technologies. Uh, not necessarily the disruption of it. So it's just a case of who's adopting it first and who's open to innovating, mm. the corporate or the startup. Derek, awesome. It's been great. Now, before we wrap up, you know, I ask all the guests two questions at the end of the show, and you are welcome to answer it from whatever perspective you choose. Um, given that we've been talking about disruption now, um, very quickly, your definition then of, of what disruption is. I think it's it's causing a discomfort or a risk 
to existing systems. And those disruptions can be either positive or negative. Um, when we look at automation, it's going to be hugely disruptive. It's probably unstoppable. But will it truly be a positive impact on humanity and, and economies and systems? Um, so I think disrupts, disruption is something that needs to be carefully balanced. Okay. Fantastic. And then uh, the work you do with, with MLabs, you certainly have got a vision for what uh, South Africa to start, but I think the African continent overall, what that could look like um, you know, in the next uh, five to ten years. Um, what is your vision personally for, for our country and for the continent? I hope to see that we as a country play a leading role in putting in place all of the right policies and structures and resources for our youth to participate in this economy. Because if we don't, our youth will be excluded from it. And ultimately, as a country with the majority of the population being young, our country will be excluded from that economy. And I hope that we can then also play a role in, in helping and driving some of our learnings and good implementation of policies and structures and models into the continent, into the neighboring countries and, and even sub-Saharan Africa to really see more stimulus of this. We've seen a lot of hubs popping up. They, there are not enough of them. If we look just at, I think it's a number of 315 or 16 and growing, but it's, it's tiny it's in, tiny, in yeah. terms of what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, and I hope that these environments, whether they are universities reforming or schools rethinking education or government playing a role or corporates participating to say let's do more inclusive innovation let's focus on on producing and creating Hmm. Uh, and whether that creation is is artistic or creative or physical or or technologically driven or um, knowledge driven yes let's create let's stop just consuming yeah and i think we are we are primed for it yeah yeah, yeah I mean, there's a huge demand for our, our creativity, and not just in terms of the arts, but overall in how we think about business, how we think about the world. So we certainly do look forward to that. Uh, Derek Kotzer, the CEO of MLabs, thank you for joining me today. Um, very quickly, how do people get in touch with MLabs if they're interested in your programs, they want to partner with you guys, somebody wants to come and potentially learn? Um, what are the contact details? So one of the best ways to get hold of us, because our programs are seasonal-based as well, so there's specific entry points into the programs, they can contact and link with us through our website, which is mlab.co.za, so mlab.coza. Um, and on there you will find all of the information about our specific hubs or labs or programs um, and then contacting us for, for more information. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for joining us on Disrupt with Employment Lab, another great guest, wonderful conversation about how we can build this disruptive core um, from the ground up, really at the early stages with young people. And we look forward to seeing some more great work coming out of M-Labs and other incubators and accelerators in the future. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, T-Systems, once again, for making this platform available. Um, you can follow them on www.unoutsource.co.za to find out more about the work that T-Systems is doing within the technology space. Um, from myself, thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you again next time on Disrupt with Mpumintapo. This is cliffcentral.com.